0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you here. You all decided you need to get out of the house, right? You all been dieting all week, eating fruits and vegetables. Yeah. No, not we haven't. Uh, it's good that you're here with us today. Kidmo, if you uh, you're head, you are released, you can head out to your uh, class. And if you're a guest, you have a second through fifth grader, uh, you can... Go see where they're headed. It's an environment for their own uh, small group and teaching games and stuff that they do. So you're welcome to take your child out and then pick them up when we're done in here. It's good to see you here. I wasn't sure how many people would be here on on uh, Halloween weekend, on Thanksgiving weekend. That's how much I've eaten this week. Uh, I think it's still Halloween. So, um, but I am glad you're here, and I have a few things I want to talk to you about. We we finished parables last week, and a few months ago. We went through a series called Next, and Next was all about uh, where are we headed next, what's next for our church. And so I want to give a little update today, uh, go over a few things we've already talked about and some things we haven't talked about, and then share some of what you have been doing in these last few months and what's been going on at Journey. Uh, so I hope that you'll stick with me. This is not a, a church growth talk. This is not just talking about programming and eliciting Uh, volunteers this i want to talk to you about what does it mean to be the church and i thought well it'd be fun to show this clip and i'm guessing a bunch of you were going to go watch the matrix this afternoon uh now after seeing that but um i wanted to show that clip because this is very much a red pill kind of sermon right and i use that metaphor carefully in in, using medication like i'm not going to give you a pill this morning i thought about having some red or blue kool-aid out there but that sends the wrong message too we've already discussed that in some of our groups, that that's not the right message. But this is a red pill kind of morning in which I want to pull back a little bit of the uh, curtain about what it means to be the church. Not so much what it means in our culture, but what, how Jesus describes it. And ultimately, if, if you are, are already stuffed and you ate some donuts and you're already starting to check out on me, listen, uh, I want you to stick with this. That Jesus describes the church in a very specific way, and if if we are not that, we are not the church. Uh, we may be something else, but we are not the church. So as we go into this, I don't go into this with uh, you know some kind of you know arrogant idea that somehow the way we do church is the best way. Uh, the way we do church is not even the point. Um, it's really what our hearts and what our community is more so than what the service looks like. But um, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be following through several uh, different passages. We're primarily going to be in Matthew 11 if you want to turn there. Um, I hope that as you've eaten and visited with friends and family, and I hope you had the opportunity to do that. It, we in several of our groups had the opportunity last week to talk about what does it mean to be thankful. I hope that this weekend will not go by without taking some time to think about what we are most thankful for. Thankfulness is something that doesn't just happen. It is an intentional way of living life. And when you live your life in that way, life tends to open up in all kinds of incredible ways. You know, that video is not necessarily a Christian video. Some believed when The Matrix came out that it was some kind of hidden gospel message and the reality is, is that the Wachowski brothers, as they were then, they are now the Wachowski sisters, if you are following up with what's going on with the Wachowskis, uh, didn't pattern this movie after Christianity. And instead, what they patterned it after were a lot of Buddhist teachings. And an idea of reincarnation that would be a reappearing theme in the Matrix. Now, I I would dare say that many Matrix clips have been used in sermons since it aired. Uh, But you know, as we look at this, we we understand that there are some principles within faith that span even um, our, our theological beliefs. And that is not to put Buddhism on the same level of Christianity. There is only one true God, and there is only one way to follow. Uh, That true God. So if we look at this, you know, idea of following the gospel, it is important that we don't just fall along into cultural ideas of what the church is, because the church for you is not just what you do here. If the church for you is just what you do here, then you really do not understand the church. What we do here is a piece of what we do every other day. Right? This is not just our time to do church. If that, a lot of people have that mindset, and if we do, then understand you are missing what Jesus intended for us. Now, we've just come off of talking about the parables, and I want you to remember that Jesus' teaching in the parables was an invitation to see the world differently. And when we see the world differently, then it changes the way we live in this. By the way, if your U version link is not working, if you can't find it, if it's not popping up in events, if you'll just put the direct link in, it will, it will pull up in your uh, browser. So it's running a little bit behind. Jesus' teaching was not an invitation to see, was an invitation to see the world differently, not as we saw it, but as He did. So as we enter into this discussion this morning, I want us to remember that there is a way to see as Jesus saw, and there's a way to see as we see. They are not necessarily the same thing, and we have to be aware of that. In Proverbs fourteen twelve, something I think about all the time as I am praying and asking God, well, what do you want me to do? Do you all ever do that? Just, what you know, what are you wanting from me right now? Maybe you're in a period where you're just not certain what your direction is or what your purpose is. Maybe you feel like you're headed in a direction and God wants you to shift directions, and you just pray, you know, God, what do you really, you know, want for me and from me? And this verse often comes to mind. It says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its way, but its end is the way to death. And I think about that because I recognize my own history. Now, I don't know about you, but I've made some mistakes in my life. Most of you probably haven't, right? You all did it all right from day one. You charted a course. You got to the destination you wanted to go. And you're living the life you always thought you were going to live right now in this moment, right? That's everybody else in the room? Yeah, that's right. That's what I thought. Herman is. Yeah, Herman is. He's. We noticed he's... We, we pointed out he's wearing a New Orleans Saints shirt today and not his LSU shirt. So I'm not sure that that's truthful, Herman. I'm not sure your life is charted out exactly the way you thought. All right? But... As we look at our lives, and I look at this verse, I think, gosh, there is a way I have chosen to live my life at times, and it is not work out well. And I often look at other people's lives. Thankfully, I would rather look at someone else's life and see that in them. But if I'm honest, I look at my own life and I see it in my own life and I realize there are things that I thought was good. It was the right way to go. I surveyed the landscape of the world. I made what I thought was a wise choice and it didn't end up being a wise choice. And and there were consequences to that. It didn't lead to me dying, but it leads to a place where I didn't want to be. But if that verse is true... Even if we go back to our our great tool of looking at context, well, maybe Jesus is then going to point out something else. He kind of, you know, this is really thrown out there. Jesus didn't say this, but this is thrown out in the Proverbs, and there's really nothing else around it that that relates to it. So it begs the question, well, if there's a way that, that seems right to us and it leads to death, does that mean that the way that leads to life seems wrong to us? But then I think, well, no, I don't think that's the way it works either. Because there's a Holy Spirit within us that's drawing us to what is right, that makes us feel and experience what is right. So perhaps it's not just that the way to life seems weird to us, but instead it can also seem natural if we are listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us so that there is a way that can seem right to us through the Holy Spirit that leads to life. But the way this seems right to us in our own flesh and the way we live our own lives, it does not. And so as we struggle through that idea, I, I, I've struggled with this through my understanding of the church for years now. And as we come to this, I think, well, what, is it, what does it really look like to be a church that's following Jesus? Because that really is what we hope to be. Not a church of perfect people. Not even, quite honestly, a community of all believers. Our hope from the beginning was that we wouldn't just be a church for believers. We—that That is what the church is. You are not truly a part of the church if you don't truly know Christ because that is what makes us a part of the church. However, as a community here in Red Bank, in Chattanooga, We hope that people who were curious would come, and they would see something within our community that would draw them to see there is a way that maybe doesn't seem right right now, but it leads to a better life that I'm living right now. And so we have the opportunity both here and outside of these walls to show people what Jesus really has to offer in the terms of life. Because at the end of the day, I don't think any of us are following Jesus because we want to come to church on Sundays, right? Is anybody doing that? Church is so good. It's like, you know what? As long as I can be there on Sunday morning, and as long as I can serve, and those little kids, and wipe their noses, and they can tell me how much that they are, you know, just are glad that I'm there, or not glad that I'm there, then I'm good. I'll follow Jesus. That means I get to go to church on Sundays. I honestly don't know anybody who has faith in Jesus because that means they get to go to church. Now, I've been to some churches where I think that might happen, right? It's really a good experience. They got the best coffee and the best donuts. And it's like, I could go hang out there or at Starbucks. I mean, they're both great. But truly, people who are going to follow Jesus, they're not looking for a place to go on Sunday mornings. They've got things to do on Sunday mornings. If you're not sure about that, just go drive around right now and you'll see parking lots at... at full in restaurants and at stores that are open and you know people also just like to be at home instead there's something more compelling about following jesus than just coming here on sundays and yet so many times what ends up happening is our faith gets wrapped up just in what happens on sundays and then we wonder why things feel empty and worship feels maybe flat or I just didn't get anything out of a service today or something like that. And that is not what Jesus described the church to be. But that is the way many people interpret it. Matthew 11 and 28 and 30, it describes for me one of the reasons that I follow him is because I'm looking for something. I'm not just looking for something to do. I'm not just looking for something religious, but yet I am looking for something. What we want is really to live life to the fullest. What we want really, isn't it, to be happy? To be full of joy, to be fulfilled, to have purpose, to know that life is working out the way it should, and to feel that life is good? Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we look through those few verses, we are going to have to look at context because there's a lot more surrounding these verses than just that. We pick that out because it feels good and we like it. And let's be honest, there are times we read this verse, or these group of verses, and we're not sure we believe it. Because sometimes the yoke does feel heavy, doesn't it? Sometimes the burden of life feels overwhelming and we read this verse as if, if I follow Jesus, then my, my, I won't have a burden will be easy. I won't be disappointed. I won't fail. I won't get hurt. I won't make mistakes. If I really follow Jesus, then somehow what he's saying in these verses is, if I will just follow him, then then I will effortlessly walk through life experiencing the greatest joys that are possible. And yet even about Jesus himself, it is said that he was A man who was despised and acquainted with grief. So we read these and we think, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to believe here. So do I pick one over the other? Do I take one experience over the other? Do we romanticize suffering or do we come over here and say, well, know, I'm just going to kind of ignore that. That was Jesus. Christians don't suffer. I'm just going to take on this yoke and everything's going to be okay. And as we look at this, I want us just to unpack it for a minute. And he says, literally, starting off, take my yoke upon you. Are there any farmers here that have ever used a yoke? I haven't. I'd like to put my kids in yoke sometimes, and they'd probably like to do that. And honestly, based on what Jesus is saying here, there are times that it may be my best teaching opportunity to take a yoke and strap one of my kids to me, right? Right? they wouldn't like it but i would it would be great i'm to go wherever i want to go except for jake <laughs> he's now bigger and stronger than me so he might pull me somewhere <laughs> here's a picture of a yoke and a way it would be used for those of us who aren't farmers a yoke is literally that contraption that combines that takes two animals and and puts them together now, the reason that you would use a yoke is not just to double your horsepower or your cow power or your ox power. The reason you would use a yoke oftentimes was because you would have some animals that were trained and some animals that were not trained and What Jesus is talking about here is not that you and I can work with him and double his efforts as if we are somehow we have something to offer Jesus that he can 't do on his own, but instead it is the idea of training in that when you have. One animal who knows what to do, one who is stronger and one who knows how to pull the plow or to pull the wagon or whatever you're pulling, one knows the way to go and then you have one untrained that doesn't know the way to go and you would yoke them together so that where one went, the other had to go. And so the way that you would train these animals is you would take an inexperienced one and place it with an experienced one, strap them together and let the experienced cattle or ox or whatever you're pulling with would guide them because the worst thing you can do when you're plowing a field is to not go in a straight line and so the more experienced would pull and then the more inexperienced would pull against and would be trying to figure out what am i supposed to do and why am i strapped here and and what direction do i want to go because if you put two inexperienced animals together then they may go nowhere Or they may go everywhere but where you want them to go. I find it interesting that Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. I find this very comforting because Jesus is saying, (laughs) he doesn't say here, take my leash (laughs) upon you. All right. Put a leash on our neck. He can drag us and pull us around wherever we go. Maybe sometimes it's one of those retractable leashes and we're running and we think we're doing it right. He hits the button and we go flying back. You don't do that to your dogs, do you? You've seen other people do it and you've laughed. Be honest. You be honest, even if you love animals. He doesn't say, take my leash upon you so that I can drag you where I want you to go. And if we want to stretch the metaphor of training a little too far... We can say he also doesn't want us to be so trained that he can just snap his fingers or just command us to go do something, and we go do it. Instead, he uses the analogy of a yoke to say, I am with you in this process. You are not alone. It's not about me just getting what I want. Because I think that's what a lot of people think about following Jesus. They think it is a process of learning to do what Jesus wants. And if we make him happy, he will make us happy. And if we make him unhappy, he will make us unhappy. That's not what he's saying here. Take my yoke upon you. He is with us. He then says, learn from me. Which is one of the most beautiful pictures of us walking with Jesus as we get to learn from him. We get to learn what is best for our lives. We get to learn what it looks like to see the world differently and to live in it differently it's one of the reasons that we study God's Word. That studying God's Word is not something we do, it's the way we live. <laughs> There's a difference. You know, I grew up looking at the Ten Commandments thinking, which ones were most binding, right? Did you, anybody, anybody else do that? Some of you may still do that. All right, do not murder. Got it, check. Got it down. Have no other gods before me. Working on that. But, you know, God, just bear with me. I'll, I'll, I'll get there at least before I die, right? You ever approach some of the commandments of God like that? I'm not good at this, but I will get there eventually. And the way that whenever I was a young believer, I looked at the commands were just that God has told me he wants me to do something and he gets what he wants. And so I'm going to do it whether I want it or not. But that's not the purpose of the commandments. That's not the purpose of the law. That's not the purpose of the teachings of Jesus. And when we embrace the teachings of Jesus in a sense of this is what he wants, and unless I make him happy, I won't be happy, then we miss the whole beauty of what God is trying to do when he says, learn from me. He's not trying to just say, let me teach you a different way. What he's saying is, let me teach you the way. There is a way to live life that leads to life. And there is a way that leads to death interesting as we go through the ten commandments what we find is that god is not just saying hey i arbitrarily want you to do these things just to prove you love me and your devotion to me what he says is i want to create for you a life that leads to fullness and joy fulfillment so we look at the ten commandments and we look at you shall not covet We think, oh, I shouldn't want what somebody else has. That's bad. I shouldn't want it. But that's not what the purpose of the commandments is. The purpose of the commandments is is that if you live your life in a perpetual state of coveting, then you live your life in a perpetual state of believing you don't have enough and life is not good. So whenever he says don't covet, he's not just saying, hey, if somebody else has something you want, just pretend like you don't want it. That's not what he's saying because that's not real. That's not authentic. That's not a way you can live life. Instead, he's saying, if you covet, you're not going to have a good life. And so the way he teaches us, similar to what we teach our young children, don't run out into the streets. We don't do that just because we want to spoil their fun. We do that because we know there is a bad end to playing in the street, and we want to protect them from that. When we talk about not committing adultery, we think, oh, well, you know, I guess it depends on your situation. He's not saying that you just don't, I don't want you to commit adultery because, you know, it's really, it's a fine thing if you want to do it. It's just not what I want you to do. Instead, he's saying it actually just tears away and deteriorates your heart as you give it away to people that you shouldn't and it will leave you empty and shallow and hollow inside. So we read the Ten Commandments and we go, oh, we see that Jesus is telling us there's a way to live life. You shall not steal. Do we read that just like, well, I want to steal, I can steal. Statistics tell us most people do steal, at least from their employer at some point, maybe just a paperclip, but at least at some point... He just doesn't want us to do that? Or does that create a boundary in our relationships with other people that you can know that you're safe with me? You can know I'm not going to do something behind your back to take from you. And that creates a foundation for true relationships with people, real community. Because if you're afraid someone's going to work behind your back to take from you, that you're not going to have true community with them. So as we understand what Jesus is saying when he says, take on my yoke and learn from me, I want you to know that the teachings of Jesus are not meant to make you be forced to bend to his will. What he's trying to teach you is what it looks like to live in the fullness of life that you were created for. And that our own humanity begins to take away from us. He goes on and he says, you will find rest for your souls I don't know about you, but I was super tired on Thursday. I ate a lot, and it wore me out. I know none of you did that. You all ate healthy portions. I did not. I sat down on the couch where everyone else is visiting with family, and oh, I don't know, a couple hours later I woke up. (laughs) (laughs) And I found that the rest of the adult men had done the exact same thing. They followed my lead. They were asleep beside me. There's a difference between physical weariness and soul weariness, isn't there? I could be tired at the end of a good day and it's good, right? Maybe you go to the gym and you've had a good workout and you couldn't pick up one more thing, but you feel good. This was good. Good. You can put a good day in at work and maybe you've been behind and you've got an avalanche of work that's piling up on you and by the end of the day you have worked through your pile and you are exhausted but it was a good day. I got through that. There are better days ahead. But there's a soul weariness that within us we just feel tired. Doesn't matter how much sleep we get. It doesn't matter you know, how good we eat or if we're taking vitamins or you know, if we're drinking a, an energy drink or enough coffee. There is a soul weariness that says something is not right within me and I just feel tired. Do y'all ever feel that way? Yeah. Maybe it's because things aren't going well. Something bad has happened. A relationship has been broken. Maybe financially you're stressed out. Maybe your hopes and dreams aren't being realized, and now you're questioning whether your hopes and dreams will ever be realized. Or maybe your hopes and dreams were, and now maybe you've lost something there. And you feel a sense of loss in life, not a sense of expectation and hope for what's coming. And our souls just feel tired and worn out. Maybe we've wrestled with God, and just like Jacob when he wrestled, and he ended up just being worn out by the end of the night... We just have been wrestling with God and we're tired. Jesus says if you follow me, if you follow and learn from me, if you yoke yourself with me and you allow me to lead you, that leads you to rest for your soul. Maybe not rest for your body. I think that's a big misunderstanding that somehow we're going to be able to follow Jesus in such a way that we're never tired, although that is also part of his commands to us in that we have to take days to rest physically. We have to take a Sabbath to rest ourselves, to rest our spirit, to worship and to focus on God. That actually replenishes our souls. So he says, you will find rest for your souls. He goes on to say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't say we won't have a burden. And he also doesn't say that whatever I give you to carry is going to be easy. What he's saying is, I am with you and I will carry most of the load for you. Because I'm yoked with you. So if we understand that in the context of the church, it moves from what we do in a service to how we live our lives every day how we see him and how we pursue him versus whatever religious activities you've been convinced by either your parents or by culture or a book you read, or maybe even you've imposed upon yourself. If I do this religious activity, God's going to love us. God's going to grow us as a church. I remember Scott and I, we went through all kinds of seminars and conferences and stuff when we were starting out here at Journey, and we were just You know, we would hear all kinds of these tips and you can subscribe to how to grow your church to 100 or 150 or 200 or 1,000 or whatever. And they would invite people who had done that to come and talk. And they would say, you know, if you will just do these five things, you will grow your church. Typically, they involved a really good greeter ministry. They typically involved really great administrative systems. Um, They typically involved teaching on about three or four different topics. And they would say, these are the the three or four different topics that will grow your church. Just basically rotate through these topics. People are interested in those and they'll come. But that's religious activity. That's not necessarily walking with Jesus. You can be religiously active and yet not be walking with Jesus. And that is one of the scariest things that I think a Christian can face, which is exactly what Paul said when he said, I I am training hard because after talking about this with all you people so much, I don't want to miss out on experiencing it myself. Because there's a difference in being the church that walks with Jesus and being a church that is good at activities. There's a difference. It doesn't mean that a church shouldn't be good at activities, but if that is what we hang our hat on, then are we actually the church or not? It's one of the challenges we have to face in kind of a changing culture as a church in the world that is walking away. We no longer have the cultural Ties that people are like, yeah, you ought to go to church. People don't feel that way anymore. We thrived on that for a long time. People felt like you just need to go to church. People don't feel that way anymore. And so if we're trying to capitalize on the fact, you know what, you should come to church. Why? People are asking that question all the time and they're saying, why I don't want to anymore. The question is, well, is Jesus not Worthy? And maybe that's not even the right question. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Why not be drawn to him? If the yoke everywhere else is heavy and the burden is overwhelming, what is it that draws a believer to say, my, yes, the yoke is easy. Jesus is not whipping me. He's not making me feel shame and guilt, which, by the way, The church has used shame and guilt to drive people to religious activity. Jesus will never use shame and guilt to drive you anywhere. Because shame and guilt gets you stuck. Shame and guilt doesn't take you anywhere. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. See, disciples of Jesus see the world as it truly is and live as they, it says weren't in the notes, should be were. Disciples of Jesus see the world as it truly is and live as they were always meant to live from the beginning, as you were created before sin entered. This is what Jesus is trying to bring us back to. That full life, made in the image of God, walking with God, just as Adam and Eve did originally in the garden. We've been talking for weeks now, that the kingdom of God is all around us, it's happening. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not here. Jesus said over and over, the kingdom of God is here right now. And the kingdom of God is coming. But it is here right now in your midst. But you can miss it. In fact, what's so interesting is that those few verses that we find so encouraging is Jesus saying just this. When he talks about my burden is is easy, My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's talking about it in the context of people who miss him all the time. If we go back in Matthew's same chapter, chapter 11 verse 20, it begins like this. It's a woe to the unrepentant cities, depending on your your subtitle for these few verses. It says, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, which is interesting. We were just talking with this with some friends the other day. He began to denounced the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. So where Jesus is performing miracles, literally people didn't get it. People, He's raising people from the dead. They didn't get it. People who had been lame their whole life, that people saw they had been lame their whole life. People who were blind, they knew they were blind, and they just weren't moved by this incredible power of Jesus. It didn't change them. It didn't lead them to repentance. He goes on to say, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been <coughs> excuse me, been done in Tyre and Sidon, they'd have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you like Jesus whoa if we go back and look at context it changes the way we view these verses verse 25 and then at that time Jesus declared I thank you Father Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children yes Father, for such was your gracious will. All these things you have handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." That changes the context of these verses where Jesus isn't just saying, oh, come on. It's going to be great. Instead, it's a warning. For those that have seen who God is, to seeing the amazing works of Jesus and rejected, and yet he is then saying, for everyone else, but everybody else who is not ignoring what they're seeing, who is understanding, And does have true wisdom. Come and follow me. It's not hard. Just come and follow me. And I will show you a better way. See, Living within the kingdom of God means seeing and living in the world as Jesus did. If we could say one thing about Journey Church, this should be it. Not that this is where we are, but this is what we should be striving for. That if we're going to live within the kingdom... That means we see the world as Jesus saw it, or sees it, and we live in the world as Jesus would live in it. The reality is when we see and live as Jesus did, it does change everything about our lives. And this is what Jesus is saying, and this is what, why Jesus said, I'm not here to do away with the law. I'm not here to do away with one piece of the law. Because remember, the law was meant to create for us the opportunity to live in the way that God wanted us to live. In a way that leads to fulfillment and purpose and hope and joy and happiness. Also, when we see and live as Jesus did, it changes our relationship with others. A favorite verse for us, John 13: 34 and 35. "The new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love." Uh, if you have love for one another. So it's not just our relationship with Jesus, but it becomes our relationship with each other. So I told you this was the next update. What does that mean for us as a church? And what that means for us is that, thank you, what that means for us is that we, for a while now, have tried to focus less on activities And more on what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? Now, there are a number of ways that we do that. It's not that we don't have activities. It's not that we're not going to do activities. It's, It's not that we don't need time together or we don't need to have intentionally planned opportunities for fellowship and for teaching and for sharing and doing life together. We absolutely need that. But it means that that's not what's most important to us. Instead, what's most important to us is, do we really want to follow Jesus? And that is a question that we all individually have to answer. There's no test. There's no form to fill out. There's no, if you show up to church so many times and you sing, you know, you know so many songs by heart and you serve so many times and you're in, that's not what it is. Because there's not a one of us in this room that can look into another's heart and tell exactly what's going on there. Not a one of us that can do that. There's, it's only Christ who can do that. We can't do that. And yet, what does it look like for what's coming next? Because the reality is, there's always a next when you follow Jesus, isn't there? We want to live life as if there's not a next. Like there's a place to get to, and we arrive and we're there. Most of us live our lives that way. That's why we go into debt. That's why we overspend on our houses. That's why we overspend on our cars. Because we want to get set up in a place to say, I've arrived and now I can rest in what I have attained. We like to do that with Jesus too. And that's why we come up with so many lists about what it looks like to follow Jesus. When Jesus is simply saying, just follow me. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and walk with me. It becomes less about what we do here becomes more about what we do within our own hearts everywhere else. See, the church is meant to be a place where we come together and we celebrate. The church is meant to be the place where we come together and and we talk about the goodness of God, what he has done within us, that we challenge each other to grow. But yet being the church means that we have to do that outside of here. When we wake up in the morning, do we wake up thinking, what does Jesus want for me today? What does he want for me today? What is he leading me towards today? Tomorrow morning when it's Monday and you wake up and you say, I'm so glad it's Monday. I love Monday. I love it. I find Monday mornings increasingly, I don't know if it's because I'm getting old or what, but I find Monday mornings increasingly I move slower and slower. I don't know about you. Is that the way we live our lives? What does it look like to say, what do you want for me today? What do you want for me today? What does it look like to follow you today? How are you leading me today? So let me just give you some things that I think are are what's most important for us as a church. Pay your pastor well. No, I'm just kidding. That's not one. <laughs> That's not one of them. I had throw that in there. <laughs> what does this look like for Journey? One of, the, I, I, one of the most important things I believe it looks like is true worship. Do you know the difference between true worship and false worship? It's not just about the object of worship. Because you can have a, a, a true object of worship in which you say, I know God is good, and I know God is right, and I know God is, you know, deserves my obedience, and yet we can still walk away from that. There's a difference between true worship and false worship. When we read about true worship in Scripture, true worship recognizes the glory of God. He is worthy. No matter what's going on in my life, He is worthy. It is not about me. It is about Him. Everything is about Him. Everything is about him. My job is about him. How I worship is about him. How I live my life is about him. I'm not saying that I'm perfect at doing that, but that's what it looks like when we worship him is we recognize it is all about him. That's what true worship is. True worship recognizes the glory of God. Psalm 29, 1 and 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. He is due our worship. When we come in, I I know... That it is unrealistic to expect that every Sunday morning you walk in here and you are just ready to glow with worship, right? Like Moses, you're glowing and you're just on fire and you've been singing songs all day. You got up super early this morning and you were like, "I'm worshiping God today." I know that it's unrealistic to think that that's the way it's going to be every day. I think it should be that way some days, but it's unrealistic to feel that way every day, especially if you're bringing young kids to church and they're not agreeable. I know that never happens here. I know you just come excited and ready to worship as a whole family. But true worship is being overwhelmed with giving glory to God. There are some songs we like. Some some of you love the kind of songs we do here. Some of you think, you know, I wish we did some of the older hymns. You know, don't raise your hands. But some of you think, I wish we would do that. Some of you think, you know, what we really need to do is some Christian wrap up in here. And, you know, Aaron's been trying to get a little bit of Striper happening for a while. Yeah, right, right. So, it may, okay, okay, settle down. Settle down, all right? It doesn't mean that you come in and you go, man, I love this music. Man, this music makes me feel good. Man, I just, this is my favorite song. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes something resonates with you and it kind of all comes together in the right moment, right? And just in the moment, the music hits you just right and the lyrics are just right where you're at, and you just love the artist that put it together and you've listened to it all week and it just hits you all in a moment and you're like, yes! But that's not really what true worship is about, it's about being overwhelmed. With sharing God's glory with him attributing that glory to him we're overwhelmed with giving glory to God first chronicles 16 23 and 24 I, I'm giving you a lot of scripture today some of this is just to expose you to it you can come back later and focus on it It's a beautiful picture of worship it says verse 23 sing to the Lord all the earth Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the lord for he comes to judge the earth oh give thanks to the lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever as we worship are we just doing that with music here do we go oh, i where, where do you worship i hate that question where do you worship well, i worship over at such and such a church Oh, I worship over at this other church. Oh, yeah, I tried going there. I didn't like that. I worship over here. I really like that over there. I hear that all the time. It's the way we talk about church. Where do you worship? And I think that is not what worship is. That's where you go to church. That's fine. And we are just a piece of the puzzle here, as is every church in Chattanooga, big and small. We're all just pieces of the bigger puzzle of the church. But where do you worship should be wherever I am am i at home my kids just thrown up all over am i worshiping well you know maybe it doesn't look like worship to some people i mean i don't feel like i'm worshiping but are you worshiping at work oh yeah i turn on j103 and i make it loud all my neighbors hate me everybody in the cubicles next to me they hate my music but i turn it up because i want them to know i love jesus What does it look like for you to worship wherever you are at any moment to just stop and to recognize the splendor of God, the salvation of God, the glory of God, His everlasting love for us? See, I'm convinced that if we truly understood how incredible His everlasting love for us was, we would worship all the time. Somehow we've believed in our culture that worship happens at a place, worship happens in the heart. Worship happens from that person that sings and they quite honestly ought to be getting some kind of an award for their voice. They have an amazing voice and everybody wants to sit next to them. And it happens for the person that everybody moves away after the first song, right? (laughs) Worship can happen there. Mm -hmm. There's so many people say, well, I don't really have a good voice so I don't really sing in worship. And I think, well, it's not about your voice. It's about your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Some of us are more joyful than others in our noise. (laughs) Yeah. Worship is something more than that. Worship is something that happens wherever we are. And if we are only worshiping on Sundays, I question whether we are even worshiping there. So, where do we go as a church? I pray that we head into a place of true worship. That is not to say that we are a bunch of fake worshipers in this place or that I sense a problem and I need you to fix it. That is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying let us be drawn to what is true. What is real. Real worship. The reality is that just because we come to church doesn't mean that worship happens. Do did you, did you realize that God actually says He hates? Now God doesn't say that very often. He hates false worship. We go through the motions and it's not real. It's not connected to our hearts. We are not giving glory to him. He literally hates it. Now, anywhere in scripture, this is just a hint. Anywhere in scripture that says God hates something, you ought not to like it. Okay? (laughs) He tends to know better than we do. But God hates when we just go through the motions. He hates it. And I've got to be honest, I've gone through the motions on Sunday mornings probably more than anyone here. Part of that is part of that is knowing that I have a job to do up here. Sometimes our worship leaders, some of their best times of worship are not up here because they're focused on what they're doing up here and, as in leading. And sometimes it all just comes together. And those are the beautiful days where it's just like, gosh, yes, I am just overwhelmed with the glory of God. Sometimes worship has to happen outside of these walls, not just here. For some of you, I know that's true. And for you, it's being outside somewhere by yourself, being on a still lake out in the woods. There is something just soothing about being outdoors. For some of you, worship happens when you're at home quiet. No one else is in the house. There's no more work to be done. You just sit and you just get to you just think about who God is, and that happens at home when you're alone. Some of you, you worship in the car on your way to work because I've pulled up next to you in stoplights and I've seen it. You know, you're singing out, you're belting it out right there in worship, and sometimes I am, and people look at me and you know, then you act like you're on a call all of a sudden. You know, right? <laughs> they don't realize I'm on speakerphone. I'm not really singing to myself or talking to myself as it may be. I'm just, you know, I'm on speakerphone. but God hates when we just go through the motions. Amos five twenty one says, I hate, I despise your feasts, which feasts were times they would come together for periods of worship. I despise your feasts and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them and the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. <laughs> Those are the verses reading, you read and go, oh, we're gonna, let's tag that not to read that again. Let's move on. To, let's go read about the yoke is easy and the burden is light. He says, I hate it when you go through the motions. It's not real. And as we think about our church, and as we planned for our church years ago, and as we listened to you, and those of you who took part in our next listening sessions, and you shared what God was saying to you, we want what happens here to be real. Authentic. Not just going through the motions. Not just putting on a better show. But we're actually experiencing something real. There's always someone who says, Well, that's the Old Testament. Jesus changed all that. Well, we go to Revelation 3 to one of the churches, the letters that Jesus was giving to the churches through his revelation to John. And this is to the letter to the church in Laodicea. It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You were neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refine my fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not... Be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. And then he follows up with an incredible invitation for those who are just going through the motions. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We hear that. Here we go again. Jesus' consistent call. Listen, for those of you who are willing to listen, hear what I'm saying. He hates that we go through the motions, and yet every time he demonstrates something he hates is an invitation to something that's true. The invitation to follow with him. That even in the midst of us going through the motions, just as the church in Laodicea seemed to be doing at this time, he says, I'm still here standing and knocking. If you'll open your door, I'm coming in and I will be with you. Which is an incredible promise from him. Worship is about our hearts, not our voices. Praise the Lord for that. One of the things that we're constantly and and talking about and it is uh you know, how do we do a, a worship service that reaches more people? Which I mean, it's it's true more guests will try out a church based on coming to a worship service. I mean, that's that really is kind of the front door to a church community. I want to see what they're about. I want to see what they sound like. I want to see what worship services look like. But I think anyone in this room, if you've been here for any amount of time, can attest to the fact that what you see here on Sunday mornings does not give the breadth of what you see every, for the rest of the week. For those of you who are in small groups, those of you who are serving together, those of you who will come and serve with us on Saturday for Widow's Harvest, There's something that happens there in those environments and those events that supersede what we do here. Not that this is not important, this is important. And it is a beautiful time when believers who have been worshiping all week come together to lend our voices together, to sing as a community together, to hear from each other, and to while you're singing and you're worshiping, to hear your neighbor singing and worshiping, and to know we are here as a community of the disciples of Jesus to lift up his glory. Through these walls and through this ceiling, we can just sing praises to Him. That is what Sunday morning is. So how we worship, it does matter, but it's our hearts and not our voices. A lot of times what churches are struggling with and feel the pressure to do is we need to provide a worship service that draws more people. And I want you to know, I I get comments from time to time how we could improve our worship services. And, you know, I'd probably come more often if we just did this in worship. You know, if we we just kind of did this kind of music, I think more people would come. And, you know, if we just did these kinds of elements, you know, had snakes up front that people could handle throughout the service, we could really see a move of God happen. We we would see a move of something, but, uh, you know... Whatever it is. And the thing that's infected the church that we're struggling with, and we've come to the place of saying, you know, if, if this means that we never grow beyond where we are, that's okay because it's not about... We are about people who aren't here. And that we want them to know Christ. But we are a community together. Who is here? This is why community is so important it's not just about trying to get more people in the door. It's about those of us that are here growing as disciples and then lending our voice to each other as we worship together. And I've been guilty myself of walking out and saying, you know, I just didn't get much out of worship today. While some of you kind of endure the style that we have here in other churches, I've kind of endured a different style that just didn't really speak to me. And I was, I have been guilty of saying yeah, worship. It just didn't really do much for me today, and I got to tell you, I just—if God were to return in that moment, I would be ashamed, <laughs> because worship is not about what I get out of it. And it feel it, and to talk, just to talk about this, just to peel back the curtain a little bit, just to talk about this. For many people, admits failure, because well, if you were better at something, it would grow. And then I look at Jesus and I think, well, gosh, everybody kept leaving Jesus. So Jesus wasn't very good at this either. <laughs> he had, at one point even turned to his disciples and he said, are you leaving too? See, even for Jesus, it wasn't about the crowd. It was about the individuals in the crowd. It wasn't about talking about how many people come. It was about talking about what's happening in the hearts of those who did. And so, as we talk about, well, what what do we need to do within worship? You know, people say, well, I just didn't feel like coming today. I understand. Some days I don't feel like coming. And if you're worshiping where you're at, then worship. You don't have to come here to worship. But the thing that's infected the church and is killing churches today that we have to address if we are going to be an authentic, true church community is the fact that worship is not about us, it is about God. And as we worship Him, it has to be an outpouring of our hearts, not expecting Him to pour into ours. But an amazing thing does happen when you authentically, truly worship God. Your heart is filled. It is an amazing, wonderful thing. And it lasts, and it goes far beyond here. How many times have you come into a service and you're like, Oh, I'm full! And then you walk out the door and you're like, Oh, I'm empty again. That's not what happens after you worship. Because when you truly worship, you are filled and it goes with you. All right, I got to keep going. Get stuck here. All right, when we worship fully, our hearts are aligned with God. When we worship fully, we see for who He is. When we worship fully, everything else that we do as a church will fall into place because our hearts are in line with God. I truly believe this. If we worship well, we'll do everything else well. I don't mean like we'll have the best music and the best musicians and the best voices. I don't mean that we'll be, have people coming want to give us recording contracts and we're going to put out a CD and it's going to be incredible or whatever you call it. I don't even put a CD. I heard cassettes are making a comeback, which makes me trendy again, right? But you know, I don't know what you call it. A, you know, an EP or a digital. I don't know what you call it, but that, you know, that would be wonderful if that happened. You know, it'd be a lot of fun. But our hearts being aligned with God. That is what the test is. That is what matters. Okay, true worship is something as a church as we move forward. Alright, let me move a little quicker here. True discipleship is another. Luke 6, 39-40, another parable we didn't cover in our parable series. He told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? It's similar to the Putting two untrained oxen together, yoke together, where are they going to end up? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Discipleship doesn't just mean that we have small groups or we have stuff for kids. It doesn't just mean that we teach from the Bible or that we have good teaching. That's not what it means. Discipleship means we are becoming more like Christ every day. Today I'm more like Christ than I was yesterday. Tomorrow I'll be more like Christ than I am today. I'm a disciple. He's the leader. He's the master. Whatever he says, I do. Wherever he goes, I go. Whenever he walks, I walk. Whenever he tells me to stop, I stop. I'm a disciple. I am with him. I am learning from him. That is what true discipleship is. If we are disciples of Jesus, we are becoming more like Jesus. If we are not becoming more like Jesus, we are not disciples of Jesus. Let me say that again. I'm not trying to, to, to put anybody under the bus but I want you to take stock in yourself and ask yourself am I more like Jesus than I was? If we are disciples of Jesus, we're becoming more like Jesus. If we are not becoming more like Jesus, we are not disciples of Jesus. That doesn't mean that you won't go through some periods where you're growing faster than others. There are some lessons that take longer to learn, and there are some things entrenched in us that are harder to give up. But if there is no forward progress in our relationship with Him, if we don't know any more Scripture than we knew when we attended Sunday school as children, if we don't live out every day his word more than we did before if we can't point back and say you know what i'm not always forgiving but i am more forgiving and i come to a place of forgiveness quicker than i used to we are not disciples of jesus we either are or we're not and our hope here is that we are disciples of jesus that does not mean that everyone who walks in this door just looks like jesus you know herman and aaron are ahead of us they've at least got the long beards ken when he's here Right? They're, they're at least closer. Herman's never going to get the hair, but he's going to at least have the beard. Right? So, what does it look like as we continue to be true disciples of Him? We should begin to look more like Him. What does it look like for us as a church not to have better activities, but to become more like Christ together? Sometimes that happens in your home. Sometimes that happens when you go out to eat after church. Sometimes that happens when you find somebody's in need and you go and serve them. Sometimes that happens when you're out here serving children and you are supposed to be here leading these kids and all of a sudden God just speaks to you in a moment and you realize he's just changed you. Discipleship means that we are growing in the knowledge of God and in following his word. One of the things we endeavor to do, and I I don't know, sometimes we do a better job than others. But we do endeavor to teach all of Scripture here. There are some that's easier to teach than others. But that is a value we have as a church. We We need to hear it all. The stuff that's easy to teach and the stuff that is hard to bear. Because it is so contrary to the way we naturally view life. It means that we don't just come and say we know Scripture. It means that we strive every day to live holy lives because He is holy. We've done more damage to the cause of Christ by being holy at church and being something else outside these walls that led us endeavor not to live fake lives, but to live holy lives. Not to just put on a good front, but that what we put out is what is really happening within, within us. That we seek to live holy lives. First Samuel fifteen twenty two says, and Samuel said Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Romans twelve one and two says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. We desire true discipleship. Finally, the number one thing that you mentioned in your listening and the listening sessions we did, whether you did it with small groups or if we did those here, the number one thing you all talked about desiring for us as a church moving forward was more relational opportunities to build friendships with each other, which I thought was interesting. I thought it was going to be a better pastor. (laughs) I hope that wouldn't be it, but you know. At least you didn't say that. That wasn't one of the options on the forum. But the number one thing you did, in all seriousness, the number one thing that you said that you wanted as a church was more opportunities to build relationships with each other. Now, one of the ways we can do that moving forward, and we're going to do that in this coming year, is we've we've renegotiated some things with our lease here. You may or may not know that we don't get this whole facility. We have parts that we pay for full time, and then we have parts that we share. And the big event hall that we have over on the other side of our kids' um, hallway, that is something that we don't don't pay to, to use that. And so we've worked it out. And we quite honestly, our rent is at a point where we just can't pay more for rent. It's just not responsible for us to increase our rent to get more use of space. It's just like in your own budgets. There's a place where you say, we can't budget any more money for this. This is not that important. For us, we're already spending a bunch on rent to be here. We can't spend more. It's not responsible to do that. But they have allowed us in a sharing arrangement to begin using that space more on Sundays without having to pay more rent. And so in doing that, we're going to begin, I believe our first one will be in February, I think is what we said. Every other month, we're going to do a, a good old dinner on the ground after church. Every other month. Now, I expect a lot of people will be there the first one. And the second one, maybe. And then as with all things, as you become familiar, we, eh, I'm not going to stick around for this. We got other things to do. I want to encourage you that the point is not that you need to come support our potluck dinner, right? Like we got better potlucks than anybody else. That's not what we're going for. We're not going to put that across our website. Hey, better potlucks in your church. Come see us. You know, that's not what we're going to do. But those are opportunities to build relationships. But I will tell you, your best opportunity to build relationships is with each other through the week. Calling each other, emailing each other. Hey, let's go meet for coffee. Let's go have lunch. Let's go eat dinner. Let's get our families. Let's get the kids go do something together. Those are the best opportunities to build relationships. And that is what people are looking for in a faith community. If they already know Christ, they're looking for people that they can walk with Christ together. If they don't know Christ, they're looking for people that will accept them as they have questions and welcome them into their friendship. See, the number one thing that really leads someone to be a part of a church is not the way that the service looks. It's the way that the love looks between those who attend. It's exactly what Jesus said when He said, "They will know you're my disciples by your love for one another." Another thing that you have mentioned, several of you have mentioned in our listening sessions, you would love for us to do as a church moving forward. What's next for us as a church? We've supported a lot of missions around the world. We've we've done a, we've we've been blessed with some partnerships. That even a church our size can make a large contribution to efforts happening around the world. We've we've been blessed with that. Many of you have increasingly said, "When can we go on a mission trip?" And I, I'll just tell you that when we start talking about going on a mission trip, uh, I start sweating. No joke, because it's a lot of work. But I will also tell you, I've been to a lot of. On a lot of mission trips, and they can be very formative in your faith as you see a different world than you experience. There are good trips and there are not so good trips. The not so good trips are vacations masked as mission trips. The great trips are the trips that you actually get to go and you actually get to be a part of something that is helping someone. We do have opportunities to do mission trips. And over the next few months, we will likely begin talking about some of those. If you're interested, they're expensive. And we're not a wealthy church. So we pass the cost on to you. You're welcome. But one of the ways that we look at real community, I know I'm over time here. I really am wrapping up here. John 13, 34, and 35, read it again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What does real community look like? Let me leave you with these bullet points. As we think back through the 11 years now that we've been a church, the constant conversations we have with staff, leaders, volunteers, attenders, What does it really look like to have real community? Number one, it looks like everyone growing together. We don't come and sit. We don't become stagnant. We don't come looking for better services and better activities. We come looking to grow in our faith in the way that we express it. What real community looks like, just like some of you did on Thursday after you ate a community dinner and some of you then came together and did the community clean-up, and then you took the community nap and all those good things. Real community looks like everyone serving. Everyone serving. If you have not found a place of service, there are so many opportunities to serve. If you have not found a place to serve, then I would encourage you to do that. Part of being community is that we each serve each other. There's not a lot of us. But as we serve each other, there's enough of us. And you cannot grow if you are not serving others. It is not possible because that is the heart of Christ. And if we are not serving others, we are not mimicking the heart of Christ. Which again is what it looks like to be a disciple. Let me encourage you just in basics of serving. Let me encourage you that if you are supposed to serve, you're signed up to serve. Please serve. Please serve. If it's your date, it's your time, and I know you're tired, then let me encourage you to be here, especially in our children's ministry, because it is chaotic when it's time and people are bringing kids in and someone who's supposed to be there is not there. And we're like, what do we do now? And poor Natalia, she's, we, she has to be in worship today. She's soaking it up today because I think the last you know several weeks she's been serving. If you're serving, I want to encourage you to be here and to serve and not to come and to do it and be like, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here to do my part. Because that is not the attitude that leads to something happening within that room. But part of loving each other is serving each other. Some of you just, I, I come in and I, I, I don't, never, never empty a trash can after worship, which is an amazing thing. Someone always does it. We don't have assigned people to do that. Usually it's the Murphys. <laughs> the, the kids, you know, Josh tells them to go get the trash, and they do. But uh if they don't, Donna does, or Gene does, or some of you do, I don't know who does. I don't even see it. I just know the trash has been emptied. I think that's an amazing. You know, that's such a small thing, but when I leave here and the trash is empty, I feel good. Now, some of you, some of you feel that way at home, too. I feel like that here. Everyone serves. We're not going to ask anybody to serve always, but we want everyone to serve some. They also say real community looks like everyone giving everyone giving. It's not about an amount. It's not about submit your tax forms. But we share the burden of ministry and the opportunity to bless those who need it. Everyone gives. And I know scriptures say God loves a cheerful giver, but He didn't say only give when you're cheerful. (laughs) Because giving does, just like the, the Ten Commandments, giving changes us. It changes our perspective of the world. It changes the way that we live. It it changes the way we manage our resources. It changes how we see the source of those resources. Everyone invites. We all have an opportunity to reach others. Everyone attends. I don't attend every Sunday. Most Sundays I'm here. I don't attend every Sunday. doesn't mean to be a good member of this church means you attend every Sunday, but you a- attend. And, and here's why people don't. People don't attend because they don't feel like they're necessary. They feel like if I want to come get something and I need something and I don't have anything else going on, I attend. But I'm not necessary. If I don't show up, it's no big deal. I'm not scheduled to serve. I'm not on the worship team. I'm not teaching. It's not that big a deal. Except for the person that you would have sat by that needed you that day just to say, how are you today? Guess guest who comes in and it was all they could do to walk in the door. They were scared to death. I can't tell you how many. Usually men. Women don't say this. Men say it. Well, I was afraid the roof was going to fall in when I walked in the door. You know, it actually did happen across the sidewalk here, but it didn't happen in here. All right? <laughs> Everyone attends. doesn't mean that you're here every Sunday, but you're here most Sundays. Because we come not to get something out of it. We come to give something to it. All of this, I hope that you will come back through and, and determine for yourself what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus as you read Scripture. But I have found that you will find true peace when you truly experience Christ. Over the next few weeks, we're going to move into our Christmas series. And um, I'm excited about that. We're going to be talking about what does it look like to have peace. I wanted to share this with you today and just to wrap to wrap it up and I know I gave you a ton of stuff, and I have a tendency to do that. Our goal here, moving forward, is to listen to the things that God is saying to you. And I want God to continue talking to you, and I want you to continue bringing to us what it is that God is saying and, and how we respond. But it is, look, what it looks like is true worship, true discipleship, and real community. If we do those things well, everything else will fall into place. You are a necessary part of our church. We are less than without you. We cannot move forward into what is next alone. And we can't just have leaders. It takes everyone in here. In fact, we wouldn't be here for the 11 years we've been here if it weren't for for you. That is what the community is. So as we look for what is next, let us go to what is true, real, and authentic so that we can see as Jesus sees and do as he does. Will you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for this community of people. And I pray that for those that are not experiencing this real community, I pray that, Father, you would break through the, just the, the busyness of our lives so that we would truly experience you. I pray that we would not just come into this place with an expectation of what we receive, but you will just overwhelm us with the knowledge of all that you have done for us, with how incredibly worthy you are for worship. As we sing, let us not sing words, but let us sing from our hearts to you. Father, I pray that we would be true worshipers, true disciples, that you would build with us a continuing growth toward real community as we love one another, serve one another, give with one another, Father, I pray that as we invite others and as we are here ourselves, that you will be in our midst so that what will be said about us is not that we're the best, not that we're the biggest, but Father, we know Jesus. And anyone else that is in our community can know him too. We thank you for your love and the gift of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.